it's easy for me to the person that is sitting in front of me in a chair or at the at the church those stories brought those people to those places and if i didn't meet with them if i didn't ask questions if i didn't listen then i would divorce their present reality from the entire backstory of their life and when we do that it's easy to judge people it's easy to jump to conclusions about people it's easy to distance ourselves from people and this is exactly what's going on in our society Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Well, every month within the Path for Growth community, we have a workshop for the leaders who are part of the community, but also their team members. It's an open invite. And we like to focus on a topic that is relevant to business and and leadership and really talk about as a community, how do you take this topic that we know is important, apply intentionality to it, and then make it really practical. And for the first time ever, we decided it was time within the community to have a guest from the outside teach one of our Path for Growth workshops. And I was so excited because I got to invite one of the teaching pastors from my church, Redemption Tempe. So we had John Crawford talk on a topic that he's deeply passionate about, but also that he's a practitioner of, and that's the topic of effective listening. It was such a powerful lesson for everyone that attended, and we were just like, oh my gosh, we want to share this with the podcast audience. So here's Pastor John Crawford teaching on the topic of effective listening. Thanks for the kind introduction. It's great to be with you all. I'm going to share my screen here. All right, everybody see that? Well, it was typical day at the salon and one of my regular clients, I had been cutting his hair for over 10 years. He came in for a haircut, scheduled an appointment and he sat down in my chair and I said, hey, what, what are we doing today, Michael? And he's like, man, you know what, John? He's like, honestly, I don't need a haircut today. He's like, I just need someone to listen to me. I was like, wow, I never had someone before tell me so pointedly that like you schedule an appointment, you're going to pay me for a haircut, but really you just wanted to sit in my chair. And I booked, I booked haircuts for an hour because it was a salon and not a barbershop. So he wanted to pay me for an hour of my time. And yeah, sure. I was going to cut his hair, but he didn't really need a haircut. And he just, he went on and continued to tell me how difficult life had been. Work was really challenging. And he, he said, man, I don't, have anybody that will just listen to me. And that was a pivotal moment for me to really understand the power of a listening ear. And that was many years ago when that happened. And he was not the only client. That was the first client that ever told me this. But I had since then had many other clients tell me something very similarly. One of my female clients, because I had cut men and women's hair both, uh, one of my female clients came in and she began to talk to me about life. And she said, man, you know what is crazy? I go to a therapist and I will pay a therapist $150 an hour. And 
I don't have anything wrong with therapists, but she said, I, I don't have any mental health issues. She said, I just don't have anybody to listen to me. My husband doesn't listen to me. My friends don't listen to me. My family doesn't listen to me. And online on social media, no one will listen to me. And so therefore I'm going to a therapist and paying $150 an hour just to have a listening ear. And there's been story after story of people sharing these type of real raw desires with me of, man, I just either you listen to me or a therapist, but I am willing to even pay money to have someone give a listening ear because I, I so desire to be listened to. And as Alex said, my background at the salon, being a business owner, cutting hair, for a ton of different people. And then as a pastor has really shaped my understanding of this. And what I want to say is I am not an expert on listening. I have not mastered this. I'm not a thought leader. Like Alex said, I'm in the trenches of trying to figure this stuff out as a practitioner. And for me, historically, I have not been a good listener, but I've realized the power of listening. And so I've really tried to grow in this. And I, and I would say to you all, regardless of whether you would say you're a good listener or a poor listener, this is a skill that you can grow in. And so what, what I want to do is talk about the, the why of listening. And if I were just to say, hey, if there's anything that you guys might take away from today, it would be what is on this slide. I think that this is the most important thing around listening for us to understand is that listening is a means of loving other people because everyone has a story and everyone has a longing to be known. So it's a means of loving other people because everybody's got a story. All of us have stories that have led us to sitting on this Zoom call on a Monday morning, but all of our stories are wildly different. And so we all have a story, but we all have an innate desire in every single human that we want to be known. And so I believe that this is the, the, the key reason to why listening is important. But then I think there's some other practical factors of right now, we are living in a cultural moment where there is an epidemic of loneliness. And so in 2019, before COVID hit, there were studies done on our society in America, and America was diagnosed in 2019 as being officially in an epidemic of loneliness. And what, what this meant was for the first time in the history of our country, young people, millennials and Gen Z, are actually lonelier than the elderly who are in assisted living and care homes. And this is the first time that a young generation in the history of our society has been lonelier than the elderly. And so we live in this moment where people are lonelier now than they ever have been. And fast forward, that was 2019, a global pandemic happened. And in 2020, we were all forced to be isolated for safety and health concerns in the COVID pandemic. And so that actually exacerbated the loneliness epidemic in our society where people were working remote and could no longer go into the office and be face to face with people. And everybody was confined to their homes and people couldn't go out for a period of time. And so this now exacerbated loneliness. So now four years later, 2023, people are lonelier now than they ever have been. And we're living in not only an epidemic of loneliness, but we're living in an age of distraction 
and in an age of division. People are more distracted now than they ever have been. And we are living in a more polarized, divided moment in our country than a lot of people would say, cultural commentators would say, this might be the most divided our society ever has been. And so what this means is there are a lot of factors and a lot of ingredients that are being thrown into this blender. And people don't listen right now in society. There are a lot of people talking and very few people listening. And people have this innate desire to be listened to. People are longing to be listened to because people are longing to be known. And so when I talk about listening, what I like to talk about it as and call it is listening is the ministry of the ear. And where this comes from is uh, scripture. So if you go to the ancient prayer book of God's people, the Psalms, in Psalm 116, the psalmist is writing how God bends down to listen, that he inclines his ear, depending on the translation. This translation, NLT, is that because God bends down to listen, the psalmist says, I'll pray as long as I have breath, that, that God actually is a God who listens to the prayers of his people. And so part of the ministry of the ear is you're participating in the ministry of the Father, the ministry of God, a listening God. And we then are uh, participating in his work of listening in the world. But then also there's uh, New Testament wisdom from the book of James, which is New Testament wisdom literature. And James says this, dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And so James is giving us this uh, for the ministry of the year. There's wisdom. The first thing he says is be quick to listen and slow to speak. And going back to what I said on that, on that first slide, listening is massively important for us, especially as leaders, because it is a means of loving other people. Because once again, everyone has a story. We all have stories. Everybody that works in our organizations has a story. Everyone in our family, our friends, our neighborhood, everybody's got stories. And listening is a means of loving other people. And it gives us the opportunity to really speak to a desire that everybody has, this desire to be known, to be loved. There's a longing in everybody that everybody wants to be known. But because most people don't have anybody to listen to them, and my client will come in and doesn't need a haircut, but will pay me for an hour of my time to listen. And other people have said, hey, I, I go to a therapist and pay $150 an hour just for a listening ear. There's an opportunity for all of us to say, man, for our employees, for our coworkers, our friends, our spouses, our family members, we have the opportunity to love people well by providing something that everybody so desperately longs for in this current cultural moment of loneliness, of distraction, of division, that we have an opportunity just to give a listening ear. And there's a, there's a quote that has been really powerful. It's been very helpful. I don't expect you to know who this man is. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's been 
a really prominent figure throughout church history, but especially German history. If you don't know who he was, he was a German pastor. And when the church capitulated in Germany to the Nazi reign and regime, Bonhoeffer, who was a pacifist, was actually so distraught that he was compelled to plan an assassination attempt on Hitler. And he has written extensively on uh, counterformation and how you go against the grains of cultural formation. And so he says this about listening. He says, there is a kind of listening with half an ear that presumes already to know what the other person has to say. It is an impatient, inattentive listening that despises the brother and is only waiting for a chance to speak and thus get rid of the other person. This is no fulfillment of our obligation, and it is certain that here too our attitude towards our brother only reflects our relationship to God. It is little wonder that we are no longer capable of the greatest service of listening that God has committed to us that of hearing our brother's confession. If we refuse to give ear to our brother on lesser subjects, secular education today is aware that often a person can be helped merely by having someone who will listen to him seriously. And upon this insight, it has constructed its own soul therapy, which has attracted great numbers of people, including Christians. But Christians have forgotten that the ministry of listening has been committed to them by God, who is himself the great listener and whose work they should share. We should listen with the ears of God so that we may speak the word of God. Bonhoeffer wrote this in the early 20th century. And, you know, even with some of the things he's saying about secular education, he's talking about the early inception of modern counseling and modern therapy that he could even, in a prophetic sense, point out that, man, there is a longing so much to be listened to that the whole inception of therapy is built off of this. And so he's writing this a long time ago, and I think it's it's very timely for us. And so regardless of your faith tradition, whether you are a Christian and believe in Jesus or not, whether you don't believe in Jesus, the reality is universally, most people would regard Jesus as a wise teacher whose teachings revolutionized the world in some way. And I think when we talk about listening, it's important to say, hey, regardless of what you believe about Jesus, if you could at least say he's a wise teacher, then maybe we could look at Jesus's life as a model. And something that's really interesting when you look at the life of Jesus in the four Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see something pretty staggering with the number of questions that Jesus asks. Jesus asks over 300 questions in the four Gospels, which, once again, if you're using him as a model of a teacher and leader that revolutionized the world in some way, that's got to at least say something about this wise teacher. He asks a lot, a lot, a lot of questions. But if you are a Christian and you believe Jesus is God, then that makes 
this question asking of Jesus that much more powerful because if Jesus is God, then it actually means that he already knew the answer to the questions he was asking. But his asking of over 300 questions was giving people the opportunity to speak, to share, and ultimately to be known. And so I think when, for me, as a pastor, I look at this as the wisdom of Jesus to say, I think Jesus gives us a model or a template for how much question asking, how much listening we should do versus speaking. And so that's kind of the, a, a lot of the, a lot of the background of why, but then I want to get into um, a couple very pointed reasons of what listening will end up producing. And so kind of listening as a means of the first one, uh, creating empathy. And so the why of listening, if you listen, it will be a means of creating empathy. Going back to what I said about how everyone has a story, listening is a means of loving others because it creates empathy. And since we all have wildly different stories, even on this Zoom call, our stories have all shaped us. Our stories have all formed us. They've formed our views on even religious beliefs, right? They've formed our views on politics. They've formed our views on sexuality. They've formed our views on leadership and how we view money and making money. They've formed our views on all of these different types of things. And listening gives you the ability to understand. And so what I would say is what listening really does is Listening is a, a form of proximity, and proximity creates empathy. And when I say proximity, it's not just related to distance, how near or far you are. But when I'm talking about proximity, I'm talking about proximity also is connected to presence. And so proximity creating empathy, meaning presence can create empathy. When you are present with someone and you're listening to them, it enables you to know them. It enables you to understand their story, understand their perspective, and it gives you an empathy for that person. And so I remember I had a really difficult client when I was cutting cutting hair. Her name was Georgie. She was a nightmare of a client, and she had been banned from several salons in the, in the Phoenix area because she would chew out her hairdresser. She'd cuss them out. She would demand uh, her money back. And she was literally the client in salon, like the client in a salon world that you're like, she's a nightmare client. Nobody wants to do her hair. Well, she found me and loved the way that I cut her hair, but she was still an absolute nightmare for me to deal with. And a lot of times the client usually fires the hairdresser. But in this situation, the hairdresser was like, I think I need to fire this client because she's such a nightmare. And I remember vividly one time I've been doing her hair for a few years and every time it was the same, like it was just a nightmare. It was super stressful. She was always angry, but she kept coming back. And you're like, this creates like a cognitive dissonance. You're angry at me, but you keep coming back. And I remember one, one day after a couple of years, I, I finally asked her, I said, Georgie, you know, I, I just don't understand the situation and the dynamic between us. Like, you seem like you are never satisfied. And no matter what I do, I can never please you. And it leaves me feeling defeated and frustrated. And honestly, I don't know that I can continue to service you as a client. And can you help me understand this dynamic. 
I'll never forget what she said. She said, John, I'm so sorry. She said, you are exactly right. And then in her words, she said, I have been a total bitch to you. And she said, I want you to realize, though, that the reason why I am the way that I am is it has nothing to do with you. But for me, I believe that my hair is the only thing that I can control in life. And she proceeded to tell me her husband had committed adultery on her, had left her, had taken money. She then was working two jobs to try to make ends meet. She had two sons who were grown and out of the house, had strained relationships with both of her sons. And her life was just coming unraveled because of her husband committing adultery. He took the house and then she was living in this apartment. She was working as a flight attendant, struggling to get by. And it just felt like I thought I had this like good, tidy life with my husband and our home and our two sons and my life came unraveled. And I feel like my hair is the only thing I can control. And I went in that moment from like, I need to fire Georgie. She's a nightmare of a client to I felt this deep empathy and compassion for her, which actually said, hey, I didn't know that even after a couple of years of doing your hair, but this shifted my paradigm and I felt a deep empathy where I ended up keeping her on as a client and we came to this understanding of, hey, like, can you just not treat me like this? You know, like I, I, I understand that, but I want to continue to service you as a client. Knowing this gives me a better understanding of your story. And it had nothing to do with me, but it was her story. And I think about Mark, in 2020, this is related to pastoral ministry. Obviously, there was a, a ton of division in 2020 with COVID, with COVID protocols, what you believed about COVID and masks and politics. And then there's all of the racial injustice and racial unrest. And at our church, we, we had obviously navigated COVID things in a certain way based on city ordinances. And we had addressed the racial injustice in our society. And Mark was very, very upset. He was livid. And he was a member at our church. He was a leader. And he emailed me. He sent me an email and said, John, I'm leaving the church. He said, I can't believe this. I can't believe that you guys said this, 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 and this. And it was a big, long email. And he essentially was just livid. And he was so mad at our church leadership. And as I read the email, I was like, man, we we didn't say the things that Mark is thinking that we said. And so I was troubled. And so I, I sent him an email back and I said, hey, Mark, I, I'm, I, I respect you greatly. I'm so sorry that you feel this way. I said, hey, before you leave the church, would you just meet with me? And it was in the height of COVID. So, you know, we had to meet socially distanced, you know, with masks, that whole deal. But I said, man, can we just meet together? And he agreed. And we sat together and I just asked him questions. And by hearing him, it actually had nothing to do with what he thought we said, but there were messages that he was told and communicated in school growing up about race and racism in our society. And then those things were kind of reinforced when he went to university. And now as a grown man in the marketplace, there were certain dynamics at play that then when we talked about racial injustice, he began to project all of those messages from early childhood, university years 
onto us. And I just listened to him. And then I began to just clarify. And I said, hey, Mark, I'm so sorry, but man, this is actually, I, I completely understand based on what you said, why you'd be so upset. But can I just provide some clarity on what we weren't saying and what we were saying? And that conversation just by meeting, once again, proximity, the power of presence to provide a listening ear just to sit with him. I went from thinking, Mark is crazy. He's saying that we said these things that we didn't say to now I understand his story and how he would arrive there. But then also he was able to better understand what the church was saying. And he ended up not leaving our church. He ended up meeting with the leaders that he was upset with and he apologized to us. And then we were able to say, man, we don't just think Mark's crazy, but we better understand Mark's story and how he would have arrived at these conclusions. And I share both those snapshots of story because Mark had a story, Georgie had a story. I did not know their story. And so it's easy for me to the person that is sitting in front of me in a chair or at the at the church, those stories brought those people to those places. And if I didn't meet with them, if I didn't ask questions, if I didn't listen, then I would divorce their present reality from the entire backstory of their life. And when we do that, it's easy to judge people. It's easy to jump to conclusions about people. It's easy to distance ourselves from people. And this is exactly what's gone on in our society. Our current cultural moment where we are so polarized and we are so divided, the division in our country is because proximity creates empathy, but distance creates suspicion. And what's happened in our society is the other, we don't move towards, but we move away from. And distance breeds or creates more suspicion. And you believe the worst about someone. It's really hard to believe the best about someone if you don't know them and you don't know their story, but it's really easy to believe the worst. In communication, in interpersonal communication kind of dynamics, there's been a lot of studies done on just the human condition and how humans operate. And that this is something that studies have proven that when given the least amount of information, people will automatically always connect the dots in the most pathological ways possible. I'll say that again. When given the least amount of information, people will automatically always connect the dots in the most pathological ways possible, meaning you will jump to the worst possible conclusion when you have the least amount of information. But when you take time to listen and understand someone's story and you gain context, it not only creates empathy, but it prevents you from just assuming the worst. In the same way that I was ready to fire Georgie from being my client, now getting the backstory by simply just asking her, I don't understand this. Can you help me understand? And hearing her whole story, it completely shifted of instead of believing the worst about her and firing her, I was actually able to feel empathy and begin to believe uh, the best about her. The other thing that listening does practically is that listening is a means of peacemaking. So not just empathy, but also listening is a means of peacemaking. In business, in the marketplace, whether you're dealing with clients and customers or whether you are dealing with staff and coworkers or investors, whatever it may be, there will be conflict. 
And we know that, right? Conflict is huge. And what I have found to be the case with listening is listening is a means of peacemaking and providing conflict resolution. One of the best de-escalation techniques or tactics is just to simply listen to someone. I have seen with several very, very angry people, if I can just sit down and ask some good questions and give a listening ear, I can like visibly see the tension and the anger dissipate and kind of like their body relaxes. They come in super tense and they're really aggressive. And then you just start listening and it's like de-escalating. And it's because people want to be listened to. People want to be heard. And, and everybody is feeling like, I don't have anyone who will just listen to me and hear me out on this. And so it creates a space not only for the de-escalation, but much of conflict is oftentimes due to a sender-receiver breakdown in communication. And by listening, it provides the opportunity for clarity space for clarity and clarity is kindness clarity is kindness and i think about uh, nick and danielle and for nick and danielle i saw this very clearly we had a, a small group community for our church that my wife and i were leading we were hosting it in our home and nick and danielle were a married couple and in 2016 they came to our small group and that evening we were talking about a lot of the political tension right 2016 was a was a very tense time around election and nothing was said about candidates or policies or anything like that but we the people in our in our small group once again we we're all friends we were just talking about some of the complex dynamics that were at play in that whole election cycle with some of the things going on in our society and nick and danielle were there and they got very very angry so much so that they went on about a five to ten minute like diatribe of just yelling like screaming at our small group about uh, all of the problems with us and how we hate America and all these things, they grabbed their stuff, they ran out of our house, slammed the door behind them and left our small group just feeling stunned. Like, what did we say something like, did, you know, and, and all of us were like, I don't understand what's going on. And they were very, very angry. And so my wife and I, uh, later that night, after our community group left, we texted Nick and Danielle, they lived in our neighborhood and just said, hey, you know, we're a little confused about what happened. Obviously, we offended you and, and we would love to hear like what what was so offensive and why you were visibly so angry and, and stormed out. And so we said, hey, would you guys come over to our house for a meal? And we would just love to hear kind of more the backstory of what's behind it, because clearly there's something behind what happened. And so they agreed to it and they came over for dinner that week and over around the dinner table, we just asked questions and listened and come to find out there was a really complicated backstory around politics and kind of the the political engagement within their families and their families were very combative around politics and even political stuff had torn apart their families and so they were really triggered by the stuff in their families around politics and so we just listened and we said hey can we just provide some clarity we, we were not trying to offend you we were not even making any kind of political statement around policy or how people should vote we were just talking about some of the complexities and in that 
around the dinner table, you could visibly see the de-escalation of they viewed us almost as an enemy. And then just by listening and asking questions and providing some clarity, the tension left their bodies. They actually owned up that they were wrong for yelling at us, for assuming the worst, for storming out. They apologized to my wife and I. And then they came back to our community group two or three weeks later after kind of letting, letting some of the turmoil die down and they apologized to our entire community group. And they said, Hey, we were wrong. We assumed the worst. And there was a resolution of conflict that could have really blown up friend groups. It could have destroyed our small group community, but peacemaking was uh, the byproduct of just listening, just inviting people over for a meal and asking some questions. And we listened and the peacemaking process happened. And so I would, I would say these are the two biggest um, benefits of listening when it comes to leadership of empathy and peacemaking. But then when we start talking about, well, hey, those are some cool stories when you're with a client or, hey, there's some some tough things that you've navigated as a pastor in light of some of the really complex dynamics in our society. But then this question comes up in organizations is, is listening actually efficient, though? Because it seems like this is wildly inefficient, you know, like to, you know, invite people over for dinner and just ask them about their life and tell me about your backstory and all that stuff. And and I would say, I totally get the question. And it's one that I have asked over and over and over again when it re when it relates to, you know, your direct reports and your employees or even your customers. But I would, what seems like it is the most inefficient way of leading, even in the marketplace of running a company, this might seem like it's the most inefficient, but from my vantage point, I would argue that while it may seem very inefficient to prioritize listening, I think it is actually the most efficient way of leading when you look at the downstream effects of long-term that this will save you a lot of time. It can prevent a lot of unnecessary conflict. It can prevent a lot of unmet expectations that end up leading to a ton of inefficiency downstream because a lot of conflict comes from unmet expectations. A lot of conflict just comes from sender receiver breakdown in communication. I just needed something clarified because I was assuming the worst about you as my employer. And so I would say it actually might seem inefficient, but I would say the downstream effects, this will save you a lot, a lot of time because when conflict arises, if you're going to deal with it in a healthy way, it's going to require a lot of listening anyways. And so you're going to have to listen. It's just a matter of when. Do you want to front load it on the upstream or do you want to down, downstream end up listening when you've got a mess of a situation on your hands? And then the other thing that I think downstream of what listening creates is listening will actually aid retention in your business, in your company in your place of employment, if you create and foster an environment where people are heard and people are listened to, once again, it's not just a leadership tactic. This is the longing of every single person. Everybody has a story and everybody longs to be known and listening enables us to know people. If you create a culture where people 
feel valued and feel heard and hey my leader will listen to me that will aid retention and i'm not saying people will never quit or leave but it will help with a healthy work culture and leadership environment because you are catering and speaking to the desire that is innate in every human of wanting to be known and wanting to be heard and then i think the the last real benefit when it comes to efficiency is as leaders we all are oftentimes wanting to identify leaders and develop leaders in our organizations and i believe that listening actually provides one of the best pathways to develop leaders as a leadership development pathway because if you're listening it helps you once again know people's stories know their strengths know their gifts but then it also gives you the ability to learn and listen to the things that they deeply care about what are their aspirations what are their hopes what are their hurts what are the things that they deeply care about um and then it enables you to figure out well where might this person best be a fit for leadership based on the things they deeply care about based on the things that they're good at and it will enable you to be able to help in the development of new leaders and i think that also these are the type of leaders that you want are listening leaders because in your organization as a leader more things are caught than taught and so you can teach all kinds of things, but culture rubs off on people. And if you have a listening culture, more things are caught than taught. And that's going to catch. People are going to catch that of like, we have a leadership structure and an environment where we listen. And so I would say the question of efficiency in an organization is a valid one, but I would say it is very efficient, not inefficient to listen. Then I think just the, the simple question of, kind of the more practical is like when we're talking about listening, what is listening? And just from like a baseline understanding, there is a difference between hearing and listening. Both of them use our ears, but they are two very different things because hearing is one of our five senses. And that is something, something that just simply happens. So hearing just happens all the time. You could be hearing even what I'm saying right now, but not actually listening, right? We hear all the time. It simply happens. But when we talk about listening, listening is a choice. It's a choice that you make where you are trying to understand what you've just heard. And so hearing happens. But when we talk about listening, now you're making an active decision, a choice to say, I want to try to understand what I've just heard. And we've all experienced it i experienced that this morning i've got three boys ages 10 about to turn seven and four and a half getting them ready for school and out the door is uh, is a nightmare mornings are so chaotic in our house and i told my boys several times and asked my boys several times to get ready for school to get their waters ready for school one of my sons had a field trip today so he needed an extra big water bottle and they heard me like dozens and dozens of times but they weren't listening, right? We, we've experienced this. I, I Even my wife, right? There's times that I hear my wife ask me to do something, but I'm not listening. And we experience that all the time, that, that this is a real example of you can hear, but also not listen. And so when, I'm, when we're talking about listening, we're, we're saying, hey, this is a choice where you are trying to understand what you've just heard. And going back to the wisdom 
literature in the New Testament, this is what James is saying. He says, everyone should be quick to listen. He doesn't say quick to hear. He says, everyone should be quick to listen. And I think that this is, this is really important for us to distinguish the difference of you're not just hearing someone, but you're really trying to understand what they're saying. And so with that, I would just say, here's the big question. That's all great, but what about practically for us? Like, how do you listen well? And can you grow as a listener? And I would say, I am, like I said at the start of this, I'm not an expert in this. I've learned a lot because I'm an extrovert and I love talking. And so I have really had to grow in this. And so what I want to share now is just some practical things on how. And I think the first thing that's important, really, really important, is straight out the gate. Good listening starts when the conversation is not about you. And so the first thing you need to ask is, how can I make this conversation about the other person? And so if you want to grow as a listener, you need to realize good listening starts when the conversation is not about you. And when you first ask the question, how can I make this conversation about the other person? Because ultimately what you're doing, then you're posturing yourself to say, I want to know you and understand you. There's a humility that's required to listen and not just to dominate the conversation and speak. And so this is a really helpful and important question when we get into the how of listening. But then practically, what I would say is something that I always recommend when I'm just kind of coaching people on trying to uh, figure out how you can grow in listening is, I always say, hey, have two to three like really good go-to questions that help you cultivate listening. And so that can be different for different people, but I have several just kind of like, these are my go-to questions that I'm going to use in a conversation that I have found them to be really helpful. And so a lot of times people ask me this question. They say, hey, what's your favorite question to ask people? And one of my favorite questions is this one. It's tell me about a time in your life when you fill in the blank. And so if I'm trying to get someone to talk and really cultivate a better understanding, right, to, to really uh, cultivate empathy, hey, tell me about a time in your life when, and you fill in the blank, whatever that is, when you, uh, whatever it might be, right, when you felt misunderstood. Tell me about a time in your life when, man, you experienced great success, right? Tell me, tell me about a time in your life where you really felt like people in your life valued you whatever it may be, right? You can fill in that blank, but tell me about a time in your life when, and people just talk, you know, you're, you're opening up the, you're opening the floodgates then. Um, but then the other question on the empathy piece, and this gets into a lot of really when you're, when you're trying to understand. And so this, this happens a lot in counseling, but even just from a, in, from a direct report standpoint, we don't know what we don't know, right? All of our experiences are our experiences. And if you're sitting across the room from someone or the table from someone and you truly don't understand because that's not a part of your story, then this is my favorite question. Tell me what that's been like for you, right? What, what has that been like for you? And there you're tapping into a part of their story that is going to help create empathy in you because you don't know what you don't know. 
And so those are two of my favorite questions to ask people. You can take them if they're helpful, you know, use them or use other ones that you come up with. But I would really emphasize you want to ask open-end questions, not close-ended questions. I think most of us know the difference. Close-ended questions is just a simple one-word answer. It doesn't open up any kind of conversation or further curiosity, but it's just oftentimes it's communicated as a yes or no answer. Hey, did you like what you ate? No. Hey, do you like this new policy that we, you know, that we have as a company? No. And so I would really strongly encourage the asking of open-ended questions always is just a really helpful practice, which, you know, the two, the two that I shared with you guys on that last slide are open-ended questions, the kind of my two go-to questions. And so I would say have really good uh, a couple questions that you always have in your back pocket that are good open-ended questions that you ask people. And a lot of, you know, it's trial and error. You, you got to ask questions, figure out what are really good sticking ones, what are not so good questions. And it's just something that you you learn as you go. But then I, I would say, hey, what are other practical ways to improve your listening? And I think there's some really good practical ways for doing this. First is just reflecting what you've heard. And so making sure you're hearing correctly, I would oftentimes like try to capture something of say, hey, if I'm hearing you correctly and then kind of restating what you've heard and that way you're tracking with them in as you're listening, because some people are talking for a long time. And if they're giving you 45 minutes, uh, you know, of just talking, 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 trying to reflect periodically through that of, hey, if I'm hearing you right, you're saying this and that that's really helpful. The active listening versus passive active listening is things like reflecting what you've heard. It's leaning in. It's oftentimes, you know, eye contact, a lot of nonverbal cues of, you know, nodding your head, really being attentive. But another part of that is removing distractions. And so if you're going to actively listen, a huge thing is putting your phone down, I have a practice of in any meeting, I don't have my phone on me. It's usually turned over further further away from me because otherwise it's just, I'm getting alerts all the time, notifications. And even if you don't look at it, it's making your mind go somewhere else. And so I would say these are a few like practical ways that you can grow as a listener. The other one, there's two more things that I've got for you guys. Uh, one is, what is the worst type of question? So like, in question asking, if I could say steer clear of a certain type of question, why questions? So I got my undergrad degree in counseling. And one of the things in kind of the therapeutic world that they'll tell you is you never want to ask why questions, because why questions automatically put people on the defensive. And so if you're trying to really listen to understand, if you ask, well, why do you think that? automatically it puts people on the defensive to where rather than being open, they now have to feel like they've got to defend what they've just said versus you can say the same thing without asking why. Well, I'm just curious, like what, what have you seen that's made you arrive to that conclusion or how have you come to that conclusion or what are the things in our organization that have made you feel that way rather than, well, why do you feel like that? And so I would say, ask the same question, but oftentimes a why question will put people on the defensive um, versus asking the same thing in not why terms, using a who, what, when, where, or how question. Um, and last, I would say the other kind of like practical things that I would say for growing and listening, there's a few others of if you want to 
grow as a listener. This is something you can absolutely grow in. A few things I would say that would be really helpful outside of asking questions is first, spend time around a great listener. Like I said, more things are caught than taught. If you are hanging out with somebody that's a really good listener, it will rub off on you and you're going to catch that. And so I, I would say it's almost like you're being mentored by somebody that's a really good listener who's modeling it. And that's really helpful. The second is, this is a practice that I have implemented in my own life over the last probably seven years. It's kind of the 80-20 goal where what I have said is, I am going to try to listen 80% of every conversation and only speak 20%. A lot of that speaking is asking good questions, reflecting on what I've heard. And then when there's the opportune time, a lot of times it's towards the end after I've heard kind of everything going on with someone, then it gives me kind of the green light to speak. But unless I'm doing something like this, where I've been asked to come in and speak, if it's just a, a meeting or a conversation, it's kind of the 80-20 goal. Um, and then lastly, um, if you ascribe to a faith tradition or are a person of faith, um, a huge thing would be praying for a listening heart. A lot of this is uh, cultivated with a heart of humility that doesn't want to seek to make every conversation about yourself, but it's really about prioritizing the other person, which is an act of humility. And so I would say, pray for this. Once again, we have a God who bends down to listen. And so this is something that if you pray, God will assist you and give you a deeper hunger and a desire to listen. And lastly, this has been a quote that has been really influential for me. And that is, it's a famous author, I forget who wrote it, but it's remember that everyone you meet is afraid of something, loves something, and has lost something. And listening enables us to tap into people's stories and enables to love people because everybody has a longing to be known. Well, I'm so grateful to John for just running with it. Man, it, it, it really takes some courage and some guts to get a text from someone that goes to your church that says like, hey, we do this thing virtually for this community of people. And we were wondering if we gave you 45 minutes to come in and teach, could you come in and just go for it? But I, John is just someone that I trusted so much because he's an incredible communicator and he's a deeply thoughtful leader and he cares so much about this topic. I'll tell you, my biggest takeaway was from that Bonhoeffer quote where it says that the enemy of effective listening is the presumption of understanding. I think it can be so easy to presume we understand what's going on, and that can block us from actually attending to what people are actually saying and therefore what people are actually going through. I hope that you got value from this content today. If you want more content like it, we send an email every Wednesday called Worth It Wednesday because I don't don't really like email that much. I think it's often not worth it, not worth your time, not worth your energy. So every Wednesday, we try to send one email that is. We send you a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. You can read it in under two minutes. So many of you are already part of the Worth It Wednesday community, and we're so grateful for you. If you want to join that email list, you can sign up at pathforgood.com or at the link that's in the show notes. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We're grateful for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.